Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Transcendent Podcast. My name is Chris Maxwell. I'm the Communications Coordinator for the American Association of Suicidology. I am really, really lucky to have my co-host, Bo Pinkham, here. He is the Director of Crisis Intervention at the Crisis Center of Johnson County. Hi, Chris. You are lucky. I am always lucky to be in your presence. I guess I'm lucky, too. You guess. Okay. Um, so first off, I wanted to apologize really quickly about some of the audio issues that we had in episode two. Um, my microphone was not what it should have been, and my connection was strange. I was, an Air I was an, in an Airbnb last or two weeks ago when we did episode two um, that was having a whole bunch of problems. I will just say that. Um, mm -hmm. So it was a fun little trip. Um, yeah. But for anybody who listened to the podcast and was frustrated, it should be fixed. And if it's not, you're just going to have to deal with it, I think. You fixed it? I didn't even, like, what'd you do? No, I mean, I fixed it for tonight. I didn't actually go back and fix the last Oh, episode. okay. I, yeah, so that episode's still garbage. Well, it's, I mean, the, the, the content was great. Sure, yeah. I mean, it, it sounded like the internet was trying to drown you, but otherwise, it was just great. You, you got to deal. You got to deal with what you got to deal with. I think. Yeah. Any, anyway, it was, it was only my favorite episode, Chris. So I'm glad. We're glad gonna come back. We're gonna come back to transhumanism. I think in one way or another. It all comes back to transhumanism because it defines who we are. And that reminds me. I so just a quick follow up. Um, we had talked about a couple of different pop culture pieces. We had talked about altered carbon, and some other stuff. Um, I, one of my favorite movies is Oblivion. Um, and it, it's not a, it's, it's serious. It's a really underrated movie. Um, but I hadn't, I had, I had completely forgotten the entire, I'm not spoiling it for anyone, but there's a, there's a huge trans, transhumanism aspect to that movie that I had completely forgotten about. Um, yeah. so if you're, if you're interested in, and, and actually there's a, there's a kind of transhumanism suicide component um, to that movie. So if you are, are interested in the topic that we had last week um, and checking that out, uh, I'd suggest going and seeing that movie. Um, it's an older, yeah. I mean, it's what, it's a few years old at, at this point, but. I'd say like 2012 or something like that. Yeah, maybe. Something like that. Yeah. Anyway, you absolutely are spoiling it for people, but it doesn't matter. It's old. So who cares? You know, you I think a there's a statute of limitations on spoiling movies. I don't know what it is, but I've probably broken it. Ned Stark dies. Dude, dude, not that one. No, yeah, no, we're doing that. I will spoil every season. <laughs> if, if our viewership doesn't go up, I will just start spoiling seasons of in books. Oh, like Beloved. What happens in Twin Peaks, Bo? I actually don't. Something about a dwarf. All right, you're all very lucky that he's not spoiling Twin Peaks. Yeah. Um, do you – okay – we, we, we have to describe what this podcast is, I think, right. uh, because, it, because it's super important. Um, yes. People who are just joining us for the first time may not understand what transcendent uh, means in this context, Bo. So uh, you want to you wanna roll it out for us. In my spiel? Yeah. yeah. So uh, the idea for this podcast is that we wanted to take a futurist, which is just kind of a hoity-toity way of saying, like trying to look at the far future, kind of taking what we have now and extrapolating from that what the far future looks like. We want to take a futurist lens and focus it on suicide and look at how suicide uh, will be a public health problem for us in the far future and how we might be dealing with it, what suicide even means. You know, some of our past episodes 
have talked about what does suicide even mean when you can do stuff like clone yourself or replicate your brain elsewhere or if there's suicide in AIs. So we named this transcendent because we feel that suicide is the one public health problem that kind of transcends all others. It's a innate part of humanity. We are attempting to deal with it the best we can right now, but we feel that it transcends kind of any, everything else and we'll just carry it with us until we finally some way find some way magically maybe to get rid of it uh, completely. So well, that's not, that. not magically through, through hard work and, and the implementation of public health initiatives, I think, you know, we'll, uh, sure. but uh, you know, we're getting there. Um, so uh, yeah. And I think that that goes to uh, kind of what we're doing here is that the, the idea is that looking that far into the future, we can try to be a little bit more prepared and if not actually prepared, at least being in that mindset of thinking as things, as new technology and as new um, existences or settings start coming into, uh, coming into um, reality, we can start thinking about ethical implications. We can start thinking about ways that um, suicide prevention might fit into these kinds of technologies. So it's it's a through a futurist lens, but we're also trying to figure out how the, how those kinds of mindsets can actually help us fight suicide now. Yeah. Um, exactly. So that's that's the connection, and that's why we call it transcendent because it's now, it's it's in the future, and it's in the far far future. Mm -hmm. So yes, um, yeah, yes, agree. Rose, well done. You're really good at this. Well, goodbye, everybody. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyway, why don't we start on today's topic? Chris. Go for it. And I'm really excited about this one. As we've kind of teased, this is not going to be like transhumanism. We're not, we're not, we're not going to go crazy on this one uh, like we did before. But uh, I wanted to, first of all, just do a big shout out to NASA, because if you've been living in a cave, you may not know that NASA totally landed a cool lander on uh, Mars on Monday. And it I was awesome. I saw something about this and I'm, I don't live under a cave and I've only seen a couple of different things about this, but um, it has, it has like a new sensor or something, right? Yeah. So this lander, uh, and I promise this podcast will not just wholly focus on a Mars lander. We're going to do other <laughs> things, but if I can just nerd out for a bit, this lander uh, is not meant to move like the other rovers that we've landed there, but it's meant to dig. So it's going to dig uh, I want to say like 16 feet down, number of meters wow. down, which is the largest amount. Like other like other rovers before that have just been like scooping dirt and being like, like this rock is collectors. Yeah. yeah, yeah, stuff like that. But this one's like going to go like dr drill a well. Um, well, not as big as a well, but yeah. So it's going to go really deep. And the whole purpose of it, well, I mean, because NASA does things efficiently, it's got 5 million purposes, but its main purpose is to figure out what the core of uh, Mars is or to confirm some of our notions on that. Um, and also do testing on samples of dirt and kind of see what their you know bedrock looks like and all that fun stuff. Uh, and also it has a ton of sensors to just like detect, I want to say, this is where I'm getting out of my league and some NASA scientists can probably email me later and be like, you are just so off the mark here, but, but it's supposed to detect like the, uh, the, the wobble of the orbit of Mars and stuff like that. And just like every, 
it's it's doing much more of like a geological survey of what Mars actually is as a planet rather than just like kind of surface level. This is what the terrain looks like and this is what the wind is like and all that fun stuff. So it's this, something that's been this, desperately needed and we're very excited about it in the uh, amateur Mars enthusiast world of which I am part, I guess. Is this, is I mean, this, this sounds really new and exciting. Is this stuff that is like potentially um, going to inform how like humans live there? Like, I mean, we're, we're looking at the feasibility of farming or like what, it, mm -hmm. what's the purpose of this kind of stuff? Yeah. I mean, you know, when you, when you look at like what these Mars missions look like right now, I mean, we have this idea of like, Oh, we'll just go there and it'll be like that movie with Matt Damon. And there'll be like, cool things that we can like have like be in and we can be without our suits and stuff like that. And that's kind of like, sure that could happen at some point, but right now we're still at the point where we don't even know what Mars is made out of. So like probably need to know that before we land anything of substance okay. on it and like, you know, trigger giant Mars quakes or whatever. But yeah, I mean, once we get an idea of what the density of the, uh, the dirt is and what it's made out of, we can start looking at how much, energy would it take to really start terraforming? Um, you know, if we dig far down enough, will we find some kind of water or like liquid? If it's not H2O, what is it? You know, will that impact things and all that fun stuff? So yeah, I mean, that, this is this is a big deal as far as a mission goes, but it's just been one, one mission of many and we're still gonna have many to go. Um, and despite what, uh, and I'm really hope he's listening. I'm sure he's not, but Musk, if you're out there, he said that there's Elon Musk said there's a 70% chance he's going to, he's going to go to Mars. Um, there's also a 70% I, that all go to Mars. Right. You know? No, I, I saw this, I saw this interview that he did recently where he mentions that statistic and I thought it was interesting. And I was wondering if we were going to bring this up and I'm glad that this is the topic that we're, that we're going with tonight. But he he said, yeah, he had a seventy percent of chance seventy percent chance of going to Mars in his lifetime, um, and that it's going to be it, it'll cost roughly two hundred and fifty thousand. I mean, like when when it actually gets to the point where we have sort of pedestrian travel to Mars, it's going to be a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar one way trip. Mm -hmm. um, and so the interviewer was like, oh, so it's going to be like a vacation for super rich people, and his reaction was kind of like, no. It's it's exactly the opposite. This is this is basically like a suicide mission for super rich people mm -hmm. um, because this is this is a scenario where you have to go up and you have to. Um, there's no leisure time. You are you are making sure that everything is up and running uh, to its to its standards. You're fixing things. You're going out and exploring and like there are so many different possibilities and dangerous things out there uh, where anything could go wrong and you're you you have the potential of, of you know not coming yeah. back we're we're nowhere near where there's going to be like luxury seats on any of these missions right i mean if you you can't do that yet there's just there's space limitations there's just there's no way to i mean they've only in the past two decades have we been able to send up like you know scientists or whatnot. All all astronauts are technically scientists, but people who aren't just like engineers that are working, but like can actually do stuff like try to grow plants out in space and stuff like that. So yeah, uh, and that's kind of what I wanted to focus on tonight. 
is looking at what our future in space looks like and then what suicide prevention would look like in space. Because space has a lot of issues that I think will present themselves to the suicide prevention community. Um, and there's things that we're going to have to deal with that we've never had to deal with before. Although I will say that we've kind of had to deal with them before in the crisis intervention community, which I've been part of. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but let's focus on, uh, first off, the I, let's kind of zoom in on this idea of what a manned mission to Mars or any other distant body like that would look like. So not even the moon. The moon's a pretty distant body, but comparatively in space terms, it's literally touching us, if you want to think of it that way. Mars is pretty much the next far out. Um, I haven't actually looked. We, we're not even talking about Venus. I'm sure Venus feels left out at some point, but Venus has its own issues. So we're kind of focused on Mars right now. Um, but if you just think of the idea of distance, right? Our first manned mission to Mars, they're saying, would take, uh, well, you said it was a $250,000, which is, um, to me, kind of sounds relatively cheap. Um, yeah. and I think it was six months for a manned flight there. Six to nine months or something like that. And that's with current technology. So maybe there's they developed something or whatnot. So if we look at that, if we look at the idea that there's so much space there, and in my brief research that I've been, been trying to do with NASA's website, which NASA's website fluctuates between being like super cool and also like kind of GeoCities-esque and how old it is, <laughs> which is weird because it's NASA, but you know, they got they got more important things to do than care about their front facing website for the community. They need to build landers and stuff, I guess. Uh, but NASA has a psychological component to its its missions, right? They, they do work with behavioral health and everything like that. What I haven't been able to find is whether or not they're even considering the idea that like suicide could be an issue on these long distance space flights. And when we talk about Mars, that's six months. That's not actually that bad, right? If we start looking at like the moon of Titan, right? Even if we bounced from Mars, if we had people bounce from Mars to the, the moon of Titan on, Titan is Jupiter, I believe, mm -hmm. maybe sad. Yeah, so uh, that's gonna be like, I wanna say, two years or something like that. I mean, it's just a, it's an insane amount of distance. Titan uh, is a moon. Of, Titan is a moon, the largest moon of Saturn. Heck, heck yeah. I, I, I second guessed myself and I was right the second time, which is the only time that matters. <laughs> so one of the things that I haven't been able to see, like I said, is that, you know, I, and I did, you know, pretty I did as much searching as I could for this is just like, do they talk about suicide prevention in these space missions? Um, do they have to, right? And this is where I kind of get into kind of this unknown territory. And I started trying to look at, because I, I always like to, for these things, look at what's happened in the past because things are very cyclical with the human race. So did they have to, were there suicides for things like long voyages? over the ocean way back when. And obviously there's no data about that, right? It would be anecdotal. So obviously some suicides happened, but what was the suicide rate when they were doing these long voyages? 
you know, and, and again, back then, I'm not talking about like maybe the late 1800s or during the age of sale when, you know, you could have luxury people who are just kind of like down in the cabin having port wine with, with the captain and, you know, making jokes about the crew and stuff like that. Back when like every person was needed to sail this ship, you know, but when everybody was crucial to this mission of trying to get to the new world or get to India or whatever they were trying to, you know, search for, mm. uh, did they have issues with this? Because there were vast amounts of time where you were confined with a singular group of people. Um, you had absolutely no ability to get away from your current situation that might be affecting your mental health. And so you had to be increasingly more inward and inward focused. Uh, and if you look at NASA's behavioral health program, that's kind of one of the things that they do is they teach stuff like mindfulness and like self-meditation and stuff like that. But like you are absolutely, when you are on this path, you have no other recourse but to continue it. There's no coming back. So as Elon Musk says, it's a suicide mission in, it, in that you don't have any other control once it starts. And I couldn't find really, I mean, I found anecdotes about people obviously killing themselves by throwing themselves over the deck and all that fun stuff. Um, but I couldn't find anything relevant as far as data or how much of an issue this would be as we send, start sending people to really colonize space in, in a major way. Um, so that's interesting to me in that at some point, someone's going to have to talk to NASA and be like, this, this is a thing, right? Like the, like the, unless, unless there's some part of, like some intrinsic part of the idea that you are part of an exploratory or focused mission that makes it you safer from suicide in general, which is something that might be true. I'm not, in, I'm not as down with the research on that level. Right. So, so here's, here's what I'm thinking right off the bat is that <clears throat> I, I would assume that a majority of these types of um, these programs especially these manned programs, but I would, I would, I would assume a majority of the hiring um, processes for a lot of these departments and uh, things like NASA, things like SpaceX, whatever Jeff Bezos one is, um, I would bet that they have some sort of metal status exam um, oh, yeah. at the very front end. Right. And then especially for the, the manned missions, I would, I, I mean, I, I'm like 99% sure that they have something like that. Um, because mm -hmm. they won't let you in if you if you have uh, some sort of either diagnosed mental health issue or um, something that ha hasn't been diagnosed, right? Like, right. so I mean, that's that's probably how they assume that they're getting ahead of that. Do you mm -hmm. not think that's sufficient? I, I I certainly think it has to happen, right? But I mean, I think there's just so many unknowns and the the. If you ever, uh, for those of you listening, uh, and you, Chris, like, if you just want to go treat yourself, that's a weird way of saying it, but like, if you go to the NASA's behavioral health thing, I mean, they're, they, it's still relatively new, right? So, it, like, I mean, they've been doing it since the first missions, just again, with the screening is a good example. But they, like, the idea of like what microgravity does to your mental health and like the, like, the constant confined space. Um, you know, there's physiological changes that happen. And as I think we're growing, we're, we're starting to understand that physiological changes affect your psychology, like, you know, psychological state and vice versa. So there's a lot that they still don't know. Um, so they're just kind of, they're doing the screening 
And then up there, I think they're doing their best with, you know, keeping with the man, with the space station, for instance, they're given access to being able to talk to their family as much as possible. There's care packages and stuff like that. And that's great. And that's obviously going to help, you know, most of the theories of suicide, there's needs to be some kind of connectedness to others. Um, and I would probably posit that those others probably need to be someone that like your immediate coworkers all the time. Like, I mean, most of us are like that, you know, we want to be away from the people that we work with at some point for any marginal amount of time. But, but that's simply, well, go on. Yeah. 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 So this is, you, you hit on something that like there, there are a couple of more recent, um, sorts of lines of theory or lines of thought that we're just starting to research and we're just starting to see some outcomes um, on some smaller scale. And you, so you mentioned physiology. We have some evidence that shows that the, the, the gut biome mm -hmm. has That's an effect. Exactly right. So, so how are how the, the bacteria in our gut and how we digest our, our diet um, and what our diet is potentially has an effect on our uh, psychology on our psychological uh, status. Um, and so that, that could play a role if you're in a scenario where you're getting basically the, the ideal nutrients through, you know, however they, however they package food on Mars, right. Mm -hmm. Um, which is all stuff that's been shipped up there and probably freeze dried and, um, is goo and pill form or whatever futuristic kind of concept we can think of. But is that going to affect our gut biome as, and is that going to put um, our psychology at risk if we're not getting the, um, the appropriate uh, bacteria or whatever the interaction is that, that causes the quote unquote healthy brain? So, right. so you know, this is, this is probably something that they are, I would assume that they, they, they'd have to look at that over a period of time for each person, right? right. Like you'd have to be on that diet for a period of time before they assess your your mental health again to make sure that nothing's going on. So there's that one. And then there's also the the newer research in, uh, uh, with regard to the genetic predisposition to some mental health issues. Um, mm -hmm. So whether it's bipolar or um, depression or um, you know, schizophrenia, there, there have been some sort of um, some of these biomarkers starting to be identified and whether, you know, whether they're valid or not, I have no way of knowing. I don't think we have any sort of concrete evidence that shows a one-to-one -one causation, but we're seeing some associations popping up here and there. Um, so, so what we're talking about, and I think what you're talking about is you, you could potentially not know that you have this genetic predisposition um, and somehow during either the trip, the, the nine month trip to Mars or in the time that you, you're bounding about Mars, doing your thing, um, putting together these modules that you're living in, um, having reduced access to like the, the, the sorts of chemicals and oxygen and all this stuff that's naturally flung around you on earth and you're coming in contact with that something on, on, on your genetic scale might tip or it might be triggered um, to, for a really, for a lack of a better word, I don't like that word in, in the terms of genetics, but, um, but yeah, so there, there could be an issue with some predisposition genetically that gets popped, if you will, um, if you're in that setting, we just don't know. And we, and we don't know that here either. So we can't say one way or another, if there are certain things here that do that either. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very similar to how it would be here. 
um, it's completely unpredictable. So, yeah, so I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's the entire point of the podcast. Please, please interrupt me and like talk about these things. Um, but yeah, no, so that, and like the more that I've thought about it, the more that I, you know, I, I have a lot of weird thoughts about like, you have you know, weird thoughts. Yeah, I do. I really do. You know, honestly, one of my former coworkers who I just adore, uh, named Rachel Beach, some of you in the community might know her. She was a coordinator here at the crisis center and did, uh, did a lot for us, did a lot for the national uh, chat programs and stuff like that. She's wonderful. She and I almost like what we don't, we didn't really argue as coworkers, but she argued, right. That, uh, um, because I was getting really excited about some space stuff that was happening. I wanted to say four or five years ago. And I was just like, Oh, that's so cool. And she's, she was adamantly like, you know, we could take, if you took the entire funding that NASA gets and instead threw it at like suicide, you know, how much better would we be off? And why are we funding all these things that NASA does when we can't even maintain our own planet, you know, that well and whatnot. And I, I think there's, I think that's a reasonable stance, right. You know, but, uh, I, I love space. I love the idea that, and this is just a personal view, but I feel like humanity, I feel we're better off when there is a frontier that we can go to, that, that there's some option that no matter what, no matter how bad things get, I can at least like look to, well, you know, like you hope. say in the, there's hope. yeah, there's hope. And there's the idea of starting a new, like in the 1840s, I was like, I'll go out West. I'll try to find gold or I'll die there, but at least, but I'm not dying now. I, I will just book it and I'll find something else. There is the age of sail, you know, before that, there was a whole bunch of land exploration throughout all of human history. And right now we're kind of, you know, quote unquote landlocked. There's, there's deep ocean, which is kind of fascinating, not fascinating enough for us to do an episode on it probably. Um, but deep ocean exploration is another thing. Um, and then space exploration and just the idea that we have to have something that we kind of yearn for as a society, but, or as a, as a culture of like human beings. And, and again, I, you know, Chris and I have talked about this a little bit. We, we come from a very Western focused, like European American centric, like kind of thing. So, you know, a lot of stuff that we say that I believe in, you know, might not actually be relevant to a large portion of the world. I get that, but um, I, I mean, I think space exploration and space travel is something that's kind of necessary for us as a species, just so because because we have to do it. We have to at least start doing that. And so, some. So, I'm sorry, I went off on a big tangent, but I do really. No, no, really quickly. I mean, I, I totally, I, I, I can see both ends of that spectrum, uh, and I think the the biggest thing here in what you're talking about with with um, with exploration and, and having something else to look forward to. I mean, there's that hope aspect, there's that purpose aspect, but I think I would, I would potentially argue from an evolutionary psychology standpoint that it's genetically ingrained in us uh, to continue, like constantly continue to look for what's better. We're not, mm -hmm. we're not inherently happy with, um, with compromise. We're not inherently happy with, um, just stagnating. This isn't something that, you know, that, that, um, evolutionary, we, evolutionarily, we were okay with, mm -hmm. we were always, we were always trying to do better. Um, so when, when we're in a place now where we've, we've not really had any sort of significant manned space travel in over 50 years or about 50 years, 
we're we are looking at um, a you know a, a time where we have a whole bunch of political issues, we have uh, wealth inequality, we have massive um, economic issues due to the environmental problems that we're experiencing, and there's no mm -hmm. way out, right? And so there's there's a lot of stuff happening in the last fifty years without this without this potential hopeful aspect that that I think may be starting to to degrade some of our our like human mental health. Right. Um, so so I agree with you. I think there's there's an evolutionarily an evolutionary need to to have that extra thing, have that place to go to. Um, and and we need that exploration. We need that that searching. I mean, it's almost interesting. Like I mean, you could almost consider like the internet, right? I mean, is a is a frontier where people just once. I mean, once the internet exploded, once we knew what we could do with it. Uh, I mean, it, it I mean, really, it was it got really it got really weird. Is what happened. It got really weird really yeah. quick, right? Yeah. And you know, the American frontier was similar. The age of sail was similar. Like True. people, people. It went from like nothing to everyone was on board with this, you know, right. government well, yeah. funding it. And, you know, it, yeah, it just changed the nature of a whole bunch of cultures or created completely new cultures as well. Right. So, so that, that also reminds me of the other point that you brought up in the, with your, with your argument with Rachel. Um, there is a, there's a show recently released by Hulu called first man. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think I, I'll look it up before we're done. Um, but it had um, Sean Penn is the main character, and it was about this guy who's going to, to Mars on the first crew to Mars, the first man crew to Mars. Um, and there was a, a legitimate battle in the legislature, in the in the national legislature, about <clears throat> uh, funding that program specifically, or whether whether hum the human race should be in the the U.S. in particular should be uh, focusing on funding things like education. Right. Um, and so there's that there's that inherent human battle again, um, but I just wanted to bring that up because you because you had mentioned that that argument, right? So you know, so kind of the, the that was the long way of me saying that we might I might be overthinking that side of things that these exploratory missions and like the idea of like actually getting out there and developing the space frontier, the final frontier, um, and all that there might just not the suicide might. I'm pretty sure suicide will happen now and then because that's what we know about suicide. It always pops up no matter what, but it might just be so little of an issue that they don't have to spend much time with it. Because I mean, I, there's the idea of, I, I don't know if this is urban research, but like, you know, space travel is still novel. Like when you're, when you're actively exploring a frontier, there's a novelty to your experiences that I feel would maybe kind of keep you going, you know, like things are bad today, but who knows what tomorrow will bring, you know, I mean, that's the whole point of exploration for the human race is that there's the idea of hope, you know, so there's novelty there. What I wanted to transition into uh, is the idea that I think where things are going to get really bad is when that novelty wears off and we have perhaps like colonies elsewhere on Mars, the moon, uh, the moon. I'm not too worried about. I also don't think actually we'll colonize the moon as much because there's really like there's a lot of issues with the moon as far as colonizing it. It's not a fun place to be. Um, you know, without air or stability and all that fun stuff. Uh, but when we get, when we start, when we start getting colonies set up, um, in, uh, in Mars, Titan, wherever we go, 
the the issue of distance comes back to me because we consider the best the best suicide response services that we have currently you know in our in our country in the world uh focus very much on time we need to intervene immediately like as much as possible the right now for mars there's a minimum of like i want to say at the best there's a four minute delay in communications and that can go all the way up to 23 minutes in delay in communications so depending if, on where where you are in terms of yeah, the depending orbit. on where the orbits are of the two planets and all that fun stuff so there's this there's a communication delay already that's going to put a uh it's going to put a time sink into you know if we're trying to do counseling of some kind let's remove just the idea of suicide some kind of therapy or counseling human to human and if that's not actively happening on planet you know person to person right. if we're trying to do it over the radio and if you look at what mars does a lot of what mission control will talk its people through you know issues on the the space station or on these missions or whatnot and just be like okay remember your training you know stuff like that uh, that I can tell they don't send up dedicated behavioral health specialists to these missions, you know, because, and again, because they just, they literally can't find the room for them because usually you're not going to find someone who's a behavioral health specialist who also happens to be able to do mechanical engineering. You know, it's just not, I mean, if you find that person, that's awesome. And I want them on this podcast immediately. Um, but I, I don't think they're, they're common. So like, say we take that idea of distance and we just literally have to wait 23 minutes before we interact with this person who's having thoughts of suicide mm -hmm. on the surface of Mars, that's problematic. Um, I'm not as worried about it because honestly, if you look at what crisis tech services are like, sometimes, you know, on our own tech service, we do have to wait two or three minutes for a person to respond, but that's because they are choosing to respond that late. Maybe they're picking and choosing it's, their words. Yeah, it's know. not a technological isolation. Yeah, but on Mars, and especially further out from Mars, um, and then especially if you if you start hitting stuff like when we're getting past uh, you know the, the asteroid fields and whatnot, uh, it gets really bad because then there's gonna be interference, things could be garbled, um, you know. So are we able to do suicide prevention you know, from Earth to our colonies out here in the solar system. So this I don't is think yeah. So. <laughs> so this is this is bringing up some really good really good points. Um, the, you, we're and we're we potentially have the ability to look at it from two different viewpoints. We have crisis intervention. We also have suicide prevention. Mm -hmm. um, so so I want to go back just a minute to when you were talking about before the colonization stuff. Um, when you when you have uh, when you have an individual in a scenario where they're around other people very close knit because they've been around each other for a long time, they've trained right. with each other, they bonded. Um, say like the space station, right? There's there's a there's a tiny tiny amount of opportunities for you to do something to yourself to to potentially try to kill yourself um, or harm yourself in a way that isn't going to affect the other uh, the other people very directly, right? Like that's it's visceral. You can feel that if if you were to do something to yourself, even if you know, even if you were able to isolate a part of the space station that would you know, and, and then decrease the oxygen or whatever the case, whatever the weird method, weird it was judgmental, but whatever the method would be, um, it'd be more difficult, I think, in that aspect. And then when you're talking about colonization, you have you would, I mean, presumably have the ability to isolate yourself in a 
uh, different area from other people to to you know enact some sort of plan. And so the the risk goes up tremendously, um, not mm -hmm. just in that that crisis intervention aspect, um, the not the direct crisis intervention, but the actual access to that person. So even if you were able to contact somebody else on that colony and say you need to go get uh, so and so or you need to go take care of them, there's a chance that that may not be possible. Whereas in a different setting, it would be. Does, am I making any sense? Is that? Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. Um, and again, from what I can tell, and somebody can please comment or email me afterwards or whatnot, or Facebook me, whatever you want to do. Um, and like, let me know if I'm wrong. I mean, they've done some studies on Earth. Like they, they buried people for like 500 days or something, yeah. you know, and, you know, so they're doing studies on this. But that I can tell, I don't think NASA has a mandate for when they are starting to develop these longer term missions where we're talking more about like months and years rather than days in space, you know, and the, the international space station, I think is the maximum amount of time that people spend in space. And I think I want to say it's like a year or two, uh, if, if that, you know, uh, and so they're not mandating that a behavioral health specialist of some kind has to be part of these missions. Because, and again, it, you know, we've talked about it it's because of space constraints and all that fun stuff. But I think they're kind of playing with fire here that if they don't, if they think that they can do it all from home, that they're going to start hitting a tremendous amount of issues. And maybe they will and maybe they'll focus more on a peer intervention model, like you said, of just like everyone's going to account for each other, you know, and, you know. You right. And we, we have no way of knowing. We have no way of knowing how they put. I mean, like I, I don't. I'll speak for myself. I don't know how they put together their teams. I don't know if they have, they, they may very well uh, have the foresight to put a behavioral health specialist in that team who then, you know, goes up with them. Um, I think that would be a brilliant idea, regardless of what the case is. If anything were to happen where, where someone might be traumatized or if someone's past trauma comes up or something like that, it would make sense to have a behavioral health specialist there. Um, mm -hmm. In a high risk scenario like that, where there's a there's more than a 50 percent chance that someone's going to die on that trip or during the colonization efforts, you're going to have to have somebody that helps people deal with grief. Right. So you, you're going to need a behavioral health person in that in that setting. Um, and, and then, you know, getting into the suicide prevention aspect uh, or, or self-harm or um, any other sort of mental health issues that people might experience you're going to have to have somebody there who can who can deal with it in a in a crisis setting mm -hmm. um like uh, otherwise like you said it's it's going to be very very difficult um now i could see i could see the potential of of you know of, of essentially negating the need for that by having or at least you know um giving the appearance appearance of negating the need for that by having some sort of virtual behavioral health coach, um, whether that's a, whether that's an AI, uh, or yeah. a bot or, mm -hmm. um, you know, a virtual reality thing, or, um, even just pre-recorded videos of, of something that calms a person down. You know, the other, the other thing I was thinking about too, when you were talking about the time that it takes for, um, information to, to travel from here to there, um, you know, we, we have pretty, pretty good evidence that things like carrying cards um, or carrying postcards, carrying letters um, after, you know, 
Okay, so the, the deal is with, with carrying cards for anybody who's listening, these are cards that are sent to um, people who are uh, discharged from emergency departments or behavioral health settings uh, after a suicide attempt. Um, and typically these are, these are cards that are sent to remind them about uh, referrals or just to check in on them. Um, there was a really good article released uh, not too long ago by the Huffington Post um, about a, a researcher, Dr. Uh, Motto, who, um, who, who saw great success in this in doing this over the, over decades. So what I, what I could see and why I bring that up is that they, they potentially set up some sort of scenario where the astronauts or the colonizers are sent um, videos from loved ones or videos from, or not even maybe videos, but like letters and messages, any sort of media from their support systems um, or, for, or from their primary care physicians or who, you know, whomever it may be. But having mm-hmm. these kinds of things uh, happen on a pretty consistent basis um, and, and then potentially having that as a backlog to fall back on if they, if they get into a crisis. Right. Yeah, I agree with it. I'm going to, I'm going to play devil's advocate because you know me, I love doing that, you know, please, uh, please well, do. and there's a few, I have a few scattered thoughts. So I'll play devil's advocate. I want to just introduce uh, just a horrible scenario uh, right. because that's what I do. Um, and it just, so those caring letters and like messages from your family and friends are great. And that's all wonderful. What, what if someone's partner dies and right. they're five months out towards Mars I mean, right. crew of five or six, do we, does the government look at their psychological profile and just be like, you know what, Kevin, we're going to take a pass on telling you about that. And, uh, you know, just maybe, maybe save that for your flight back or something like that. It would be Kevin. Well, but then you have, then you have the, the radio lot. then you have the radio silence from, from your, your significant others. So there, there may be some ethical issues. Yeah. So what do we do? Some, uh, you know, there's a video game I keep telling you to play Horizon Zero Dawn. I don't know if you've played that yet, but you don't actually play video games. You just talk about them all the time, which is fun. It's fun for me to to be part of that. Um, well, this was a this was a great episode. I think we should <laughs> wrap it up. No, but uh, they, they cover that in Horizon Zero Dawn. It's just like when you have completely isolated people who, like, you know. You're, you're giving as many tools as possible to try to keep them mentally healthy and well, but like, do you, what of your algorithms or whatever your research shows that like, if you introduce this one piece of news and things could go really badly, but then if you don't introduce that piece of news, what do you do? Like, you know, it's, it's almost like a trolley problem in that if you tell Kevin that is uh Sorry, I should probably define what trolley problem is for people yes, who don't please, know. Yes, please do. Trolley problem is, do you save one person? So a trolley's going down the tracks. You can uh, save one person or you can save po- five people. Uh, but it's it's going to hit one of those two groups of people, one or five. How do you decide which one to choose? Do you just save the five people? But what if the one person is the person who can cure world hunger? You know, stuff like that. So it, it's okay. that kind of very quote unquote, simple philosophical conundrum of, you know, is one human life worth five human lives? How do you put worth on a human life? All that fun stuff. So you could use that in space. What happens if we run the numbers and if we tell Kevin that his partner has passed away, Kevin is, you know, 36%, 36% more likely to 
and we'll, we'll spin it back to suicide, make a suicide attempt of some kind, you know, which those numbers were probably low anyway, because you did this huge mental health screening of Kevin and just made sure. Um, and I don't, you know, we could do a follow-up podcast on whether or not the mental health screenings they do are actually like predictive and should be done. Right. I mean, the, the, a whole bunch of people in our lived experience community would say that they're, uh, mental resiliency is better because they've had these thoughts of suicide before and all that fun stuff. But so, you know, do we tell Kevin, do we just kind of let that silence happen? Do we manufacture something so that Kevin can continue his, you know, operation? Um, one of the things that I was talking about, was thinking about this, uh, the other day is I haven't even gotten to the point that like most of these missions are probably going to be military or there's going to be military missions or whatnot. And military operates under some fundamentally very different principles than we do, you know, the, the success of the mission is kind of most important. So do, will they get into this kind of fun gray area of what do we do? What do we do with Kevin? Why do you, um, why do you assume that there'll be, they'll, that there will be fundamentally, what, what, why, why military missions? Why do you assume that? Oh, because governments have money. And I mean, you know, I, I mean, there, there will be private corporation missions as well, but eventually we will have military in space or humans. That's, oh, 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 you're talking about space force, Bo. Yeah. I want to call them that because that sounds stupid. And also, completely unrelated to this podcast, maybe we shouldn't defund cybersecurity first. Maybe we should focus on the internet rather than space right now. Anybody who's listening, but you know, what do I know? Um, uh, I got a subtract. Yeah. So yeah, so but yeah. Since you, the, the military has its own protocols for this kind of thing, and I'm not making any judgment about that. Military missions are very serious, and NASA is part of the U.S. government. I think NASA is actually technically a military operation as well, um, just very scientifically focused military operation. Um, and, uh, you know, so the, you know, they're, they're going to be crunching these numbers. We need to know what those numbers look like. But, yeah, so, there, so there's that issue, right? Like, what do we do with these people who are six months out? And do we have do we well, give them the horrible news? You you say you say you're playing devil's advocate, but really it's just a matter of putting that behavioral health specialist in the mix, having that person yes. as part of the team. Exactly. I, I I fundamentally and obviously like I'm just a lay person, so I don't know. Maybe they've crunched these numbers and they're like, no, you're stupid. We'll be fine. But I think like every long term mission into space that requires like uh, more than like months or years out there probably need some kind of behavioral health specialist because you just, you can't run the risk that the people think people could get so disconnected from us or some kind of technical issue will come across that we, we just don't know what the effects of space will be on psychology. If you look at what say, what just being in space for brief moments has done to the psychology yeah. of astronauts dating back to like the sixties, right? It's, it's severe changes in their perceptions of how the world works uh, and their idea of like what earth actually means to us, you know, and stuff like that. It's really fascinating. It's, it's uh -huh. the, it's the entire other end of the spectrum of the, of the uh, you know, the, the old phrase about to, to, to get a different perspective, you really have to travel like they, right. that, that is the ultimate other end of, of the human perspective as being off of this planet. Yeah. And so, like, multiply that by a billion, and, like, what if you're literally six months away from the planet Earth? 
you know, I, I think one thing that we don't think about, you met another one of my scattered thoughts, all my thoughts are scattered tonight, but I'm, I'm really enjoying this podcast. Uh, you know, you mentioned the idea of AI kind of helping, you know, and I was going like to get that. there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, AI being like, and you know, we see that in sci-fi all the time, um, really going into transhuman, I'm not trying to spoil the movie, but if you ever watch the movie Moon, Moon has a wonderful AI, which is now unfortunately voiced by Kevin Spacey back when we kind of thought he wasn't garbage. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't, I won't even get into that. We'll do, we'll do another podcast. No, we won't do a podcast on Kevin Spacey. But anyway, there's this guy who's isolated on on the moon and he's doing a mission on the moon and he has this AI who kind of helps him through everything, kind of like with 2001 A Space Odyssey, they had Hal and stuff like that. So the idea of an AI person, you know, being that's just helping you through everything, it's not out of the realm of possibility that like, yes, they could also kind of help you with your behavioral health in maybe very moderate ways of just reminding you about therapy techniques that you've been taught, mm -hmm. mindfulness, all that fun stuff, or literally advanced enough that they could be your therapist and kind of help you through right. a plan and help you work through crisis situations. I think right. we don't pay enough attention to because the research on how people interact with bots right now, like we've talked about, is kind of fascinating in that like some people, especially younger skewing people, sometimes prefer bots over real people or whatnot. But I think what's something that we don't really have any way of uh, testing for in that research is that there is always the possibility you could talk to a human being. If, it's always in the back of your mind, mm -hmm. if I didn't want to talk to this bot, I could talk to a human being. As soon as I don't like this bot, I have other options available to me. When we send people out past Mars, out into the far distant reaches of our solar system, or dare we dream outside of outside of our solar system? We, I mean, that's and that's covering distances that you can't even fathom, right? Mm -hmm. Th that option may not be available. That you are you are going to talk to this AI, or you're going to talk to no one. And I think that fundamentally changes that power dynamic to the point where I, I don't know if current research is really able to account for it. It, it could, it, you could, yes. no, you are, you absolutely are. And I, it, it could fundamentally mentally change that interaction. It could also be set up in a way where that astronaut or that, that colonizer isn't aware that the AI is AI. Like they, they are under the impression that they're talking to someone on, on planet. Um, when in reality, they're talking to Siri. <laughs> Yeah. Um, or, you know, you know, super, super advanced version of Alexa um, that is capable of running through CBT or DBT treatment uh, protocols or it's it's, um, you know, it, it's qualified to run through cam screening. Um, you know, it, or whatever, whatever we have in 30 or 40 years, that's the, the premier training or treatment for for crisis or whatever the, the case is. But. But yeah, I mean, this can be, this could easily be uh, something that that has that ability or is programmed in a way that that is that operates in a way that's very similar to a therapist. Um, mm -hmm. And when you know, when I and when I say have a behavioral health specialist on on board or professional on board, I absolutely wasn't meaning a hundred percent human. Like it would right. be, it'd be totally okay with me if that if. Because, and I say that because we, we know that our human mental health professionals um, just inherently aren't great at predicting risk. 
Um, I think the, the latest figure is it's just below 50%. Um, and I'm talking about suicide risk, imminent risk. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of human error that goes into this. And if we can even, if we can even reach a threshold of like 70, 75 or 80% uh, accuracy with a, with an AI predicting suicide risk, it would just make more sense. It'd be safer to have that on board. Right. And, and honestly, it would be safer technology to have um, on earth too, but that's not what we're talking that, about. That's interesting to me. I, I'm already going down this path, right? You know, you take a look at the AI predictors that we have now and like Facebook and stuff like that. The, you know, you know, they're running their numbers and they're like, Hey, we, we noticed this in this post and this triggers this amount of keywords and blah, blah, blah. And they have this kind of thing. So we think this is a post about suicide and we should initiate some kind of response. Right. So there's, there's the idea, but again, that response is based on what we can do now. So they're going to get you in contact with someone right now. Right. So I'm already thinking about what if you're literally in like a manned vehicle of just yourself out in space assigned to probe slash mine an asteroid or something like that. And I very much, you know, one thing we don't even have time for is I do th the first industry that happens in space will be mining. Absolutely will, will be mining and mining is horrible work. Even if it, you're doing it with robots instead of yourself, uh, especially out there, it's probably going to be pretty solitary and not fun. So does the AI have to be like, well, how does the AI introduce to its human person that it's supposed to be helping? Like, Hey, you know, I've noticed all this behavior. I'm wondering if you're having thoughts of suicide, like, you know, if we're taught on earth, ask the question, ask about suicide. You know, you're not going to put the idea in their head or anything like that, but out there in a completely different, you know, world, like, does that actually increase their risk if they have an AI bot saying like, Hey, I noticed that your heart rate was like this. And you mentioned this in your communications home. So are you having thoughts of suicide? And like that person was like, well, no, but yeah. <laughs> but thanks for mentioning that. How like, yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. The, the question then is if, if the use of an AI for some sort of therapeutic uh, response is necessary, does it incur some sort of iatrogenic effect? Um, yeah. And that, I mean, because, because yeah. the only studies we have that show this are on earth in right. a, in a setting that is typically the, the one that I know that, that is used the most um was surrounding a, a suicide prevention training. And I, and I know that there are uh, a few on youth suicide prevention training um, uh, in, initiatives. So it's in a very kind of closed box, uh, closed setting scenario where it's mental health focused. There's, you know, people are understanding that this is what we're talking about. But if you just have this AI say all of a sudden, yo dog, you thinking about killing yourself? Mm-hmm it's going to, it, you know, it could potentially have a very different yeah. uh, implication. I really hope we don't have AI that starts sentences by yo dog. Just unless, unless that's what the, that's what the user needs, right? It's just, I'm going to send well, yeah. this to, to, <laughs> to this setting. And I want to hear a lot of yo dogs and what ups and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Um, bruh. I want to hear bruh all the time. <laughs> I really want to. I really want to bring this up too before we, before um, you know, before before we end tonight. But like, 
um, there is a, so Andy Weir is the guy who wrote the Martian. Um, mm-hmm. His follow-up book Artemis um, was, yeah. it was set, uh, you know, decades after the, the Martian, but it's the same universe. Um, and so that it's at a point where things have been colonized for a really long time uh, the, to the point where, you know, an, an entire generation has grown up on Mars, but it's still not a, generally it's not a leisurely thing. There are a lot of people who come up there to, uh, as tourists. Um, and the reason I'm even mentioning this is because Andy Weir does a lot of research and he does, um, and his, his books are very technical. Um, and, and I, I trust that research and, and the, the threshold of, of validity that he puts in his stuff. But, um, so they're, you know, they're talking about how a lot of the middle and lower classes are still doing a lot of this hard labor. They're still doing mining work. Um, they're they're doing welding. They're doing these kinds of things. Um, but the the vast number of, again, I brought this up at the beginning of the podcast. The vast number of dangerous things that are all around every single step in a colonized Mars opens up so many doors for methods that we could have never even imagined right. for suicide. Um, you know, having, having nitrogen tanks just kind of sitting around in a, mm-hmm. uh, in a closed bubble system that is full of a very specific mixture of breathable air that is also, you know, massively flammable. Um, things like sparks have to be avoided, you know, all this kind of stuff that it, you walk out one door, you have a code to get out a door and you're done. Um, so the, like the, the sheer number, I mean, when we talk about crisis intervention, we talk about suicide prevention, when we talk about mean safety on earth, when we're talking about, you know, locking up your firearm or, or, um, you know, making sure that the ammo is stored separately, you're making sure that your prescription medication is locked up. Um, those kinds of things, it's pretty simple. And it's, and we're talking about the most lethal means, right? Like these are the things that we can address immediately that lower the risk now. Um, and then we can, we can address the, the uh, mental health issues that are happening at this point. We're yeah. talking about a colonized Mars and where there is a different method literally behind every, every corner. Suicide prevention and crisis intervention is going to have to change dramatically Right, because you're going to have people just like you do in any other setting who are going to have thoughts of suicide. It might be one person, it might be ten. I don't know what the rate is, but it's not going to be zero. Mm-hmm. And so you need, we need to be thinking about what that's going to look like, and we need to have, we need to start like studying these things now. I mean, if we're thinking about having a, a sim, even a semi-colonized Mars, in twenty or thirty years we need to be doing these kinds of mental health, uh, behavioral health studies now to make sure that we are prepared and that we don't have just a rash of, you know, uh, suicides or a massive suicide rate on Mars. I mean, that, that would be, a, that'd be a super terrible thing. Right. And, you know, we're kind of running out of time, but, uh, it's going to be fast. I mean, I'm, I don't know if it'll happen in our lifetimes. I sure hope so because I love space stuff, but a colony on Mars a colonized Mars is going to be super fascinating far, far down the road when Mars has its own culture, right? And that's kind of covered in some sci-fi, like eventually Mars will have its own culture, just like America has its own culture separate from Britain, you know, and, you know, and all of our other colonizers, we've developed our own identity for the most part, you know, most colonies do. But 
it'll be interesting to see what does suicide look like on Mars is because right now everything that we do on earth is all of our cultures are married to the to earth right you know and it's every everything you know it, everything ties back to our history here when you are on a completely different planet without say oceans you know or continents you know and stuff like that or a complete a culture that has every at every point had AI and computers as part of it, rather than ours, where they just got introduced relatively late in our lives. What does suicide look like? Maybe they won't have to deal with suicide magic. Like, you know, again, I don't like to use the word magic, but I shouldn't, but you know, like maybe, maybe it's just not an issue for them for some, for some fascinating reason, you know, how does geography affect suicide geology itself, you know, and you know, that's why to tie it all back with this wonderful bow, Missions like Insight, you, you know, the, like that's super important. We need to know as much about Mars and these other planets as possible, because I do feel that everything that we learn about that will start, will trickle down into the behavioral health that we have for the folks that eventually end up colonizing this and the rest of space. Um, yeah, well, and, and the, yeah, but the maybe. bottom line is, bottom line is, we don't want to lose anybody. We don't want to lose the people who are are responsible for uh, basically our, you know, potentially our, our society's future, not on this planet. Um, and we can learn from a lot of those implications to apply in situations and settings that that we experience now. We just have to figure out how those applications mesh. Right. Um, I don't, man. My brain hurts. Really? Like, this wasn't as bad as transhumanism, I think. I mean, I mean space... it was easier to understand, but there's so many other implications. There's so, and they're, and they're so tied oh, yeah. to, like... The, we were talking about, like, this is, like, this is, I was excited about this one because transhumanism is its own thing. You know, the, the idea of AI, suicide through AI, and all that fun stuff that we talked about in our first podcast. But, like, believe me, believe you me, viewers slash listeners, this is going to happen. And there's a good chance it happens sooner rather than later. It, like there's a lot of now once giant megacorps are like starting to wake up to the fact that they could do stuff like mine asteroids and set up bases elsewhere and stuff like that. We we will have to deal with this very soon, like decades, yep. like low amount of decades. And so if anybody from NASA is hearing this, and you probably, I mean, I don't know what else you'd be bothered with right now. You got everything done Monday, yesterday, so you got free time now. But, I mean, if anyone out there is listening to this, behavioral health in space is a very real concern, and it's going to have to be addressed. So please reach out to me, only me, <laughs> no one else, and uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out together. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, quick, quick couple, quick couple of things here at the end. A uh, uh, huge shout out to Grace Durbin, who's been um, super active tonight. Um, Just totally commenting out. Yeah, over. and she actually has she has some she has some really good um, uh, insightful questions here that that I want to bring up too. Um, she asked about you know whether whether that different methodology or means um, if those things would change depending on the setting, and I think that's that's absolutely what we're talking about. I think that methodology means and then the the means prevention and safety aspects 
have to be addressed. Um, and you know, what the most viable means for that is, and what's what's the safety. I mean, I, I would think things like uh, secure, air, like very very secure airlocks, having only one or two people responsible for releasing uh, airlocks or access to flammable things, or you know, a lot of regulations would have to be put in place that um, may or may not be. Uh, what we're used to in terms of human freedom here. So there are a lot of ethical implications too. One of the things that Andy Weird uh, kind of talks about when he's when he's setting out his universe uh, on Mars, his his uh, Mars colony in Artemis, is that it's essentially a um, it, the the colony itself is not really under any. It's under it's under a, um, a I believe it's an African um, uh, government. But even then, no one's really in charge of the government on Mars. There's some like figureheads, um, but it doesn't have, I mean, no one's under the protection of the U.S. Constitution. No one has the same rights that they do on any of the uh, countries that they, they came from on Earth. And so uh, a lot of the things that we'd be talking about in terms of regulations or um, the ability to uh, hospitalize someone or institutionalize someone all of these things would change dramatically uh, based on the safety of not just that single person, but everyone else in the colony. Because if, you know, there's the, God, think about a, a mass shooting on a colony in Mars or like a, an instance of mass violence at all. Like, right. you, I mean, it would be, it would be a disaster tenfold, I think, of what, what we've I, seen. And it would, I mean, not even a shooting. Like, I mean, when we talk about means, you just open an airlock. And everyone dies. I mean, it's just, right. you know, it's it's like, you know, in the age of sail, you could sink your own ship, you know, drop the anchor when you're at, at mast or whatnot. It's, yeah, right. it's, it's bad. So th these, are, these are the things that we're talking about, Grace. I mean, these are things that just like every single aspect has to, has to be looked at from, and I don't know the answers to all of these at all. I'm not even pretending that I understand how these yeah. things are solved. Yeah. I mean, Grace said in a com her comment just now, just the stress of not being able to leave could trigger a crisis. And I, I think that's a really important point that I've, you know, that I've been trying to make this whole time, but I'm scattered. So maybe I haven't. But like, again, everything that we do with our research on on Earth, you know, that sounds weird. But yeah, on Earth is that there's there's usually multiple paths for someone to go with. But when they're out there six months on like a two year journey to get to Titan or whatever, uh, I mean, that's it. Like, I mean, that you're, it's either that or death, you know, like you don't really have any other options. It's your AI companion, a, like a 10 second video that's, you know, six months old that finally gets passed through this rigorous process and then gets broadcast out to your ship. And, and then that's it. Like, you know, good, good luck. Hope the screening that we did on you went well. And that's another thing we, we talked about the mental health screenings that NASA does put its people through. And those are important. And hopefully non NASA entities like SpaceX and all these other private corporations will do the same thing, but they're right now not working with large scale of numbers, right? You know, they, they can focus on an individual pretty well because that's i mean there it's going to be one of six people for a mission or something like that when we get to the point where we can be like okay well we need to really start colonizing mars so we're going to send 200 people on the next mission you know that's when you like that's when like that you know your screening has like a 95 percent chance of like 
doing well, that's really high, but that's yeah. 5% of 200, you know, so you're still going to get 10 people. 10? Yeah, I can do that. I'm glad you did it. I wasn't going to even try. Not at this yeah. point. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I Like I said, I think the reason that this one was a little bit more, um, uh, I don't, I'm not going to say stressful, but it was, it, it definitely made me think a little bit more is because I, I understood, I think, more of the implications. And I think I've said the word implications like 20 times tonight. But yeah, well, I, think, it, you know, I think that really captures Chris, we're going to say implications. <laughs> it's how we get that, out of actually knowing things. I think that's things. what I think. Yeah, we just we just make up words and keep using them. Um, I think I think that's really just I, it really uh, captures the 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 danger and the the uh, I don't even know. I don't even know, man. I mean, I really think this is just something that we really need to be paying attention to now. Yep. Oh, no, I and agree. I, I, I'm honestly, I was really excited for the Transhumanism podcast, but this one I'm excited about because I do think if the if the field of suicide suicidology really wanted to throw its weight around and like try to try to be future focused but near future focused, the idea that we don't have robust behavioral health systems in place for the very near future space exploration slash colonization that we're going to do. I think that could be catastrophic and we need, we need to look at it now. We need to have a suicide lens because we don't know what suicide space in space looks like. We need to start that research now. Um, and, and again, yeah. we, I, I can't say, I can't say personally that, that they, that, you know, that there aren't groups out there doing this. Um, you know, I could easily see IBM's Watson playing a role sure. here or, you know, any, any number of AI technology that's being developed. Um, or whether, you know, Musk has a uh, behavioral health section of SpaceX. Uh, you know, we just don't know. But um, but if they aren't, they absolutely need to be. I think that's what we're saying. Could you tweet? You're better at Twitter than me. Could you tweet Musk? He answers. Yeah, I will. I, uh, sure, I will. I will. Okay. I'll, not right now. I mean, like, I'll do it. Well, I mean, no, 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 not right now. I'm not dumb. You do it whenever you do it. All right. Do all right. It. Let's wrap this up. Uh, okay. Yeah. So um, I don't even know what the takeaways are. I think we kind of wrapped those up pretty succinctly there at the end. Uh, behavioral health needs to be a component in space travel, and it needs to be a, a large component of colonization of other of other uh, space bodies. Yeah. Right? No, I agree. Uh, I want if there's a if there's a question that I want viewers to take home, I want you to think about what does the first suicide in space look like? Who is that? And what were their reasons? And I'm not I, I don't know, but I just I think about that sometimes. Right. Just like I think about who's going to be the first person murdered in space. What does that look like? But but keeping our suicide lens, there will be a suicide that happens in space. And, and when I say suicide, I'm not saying like a suicide mission, like this person intentionally wrecks their thing to like maybe save others or whatever, not martyrdom so much. It's just literally killing themselves to be away from mental pain. What does that look like in space? Who is that first person? If you have thoughts on that, uh, please let me or Chris know. We'd love to hear from you. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks for listening or watching. Yeah. Comment. Uh, we, we are now on um, 
uh, iTunes and Spotify. So go follow us there, comment, um, leave a review, all that fun stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, huge shout out to everybody who interacted tonight. Grace Durbin, Sally Spencer Thomas, Ursula Whiteside. Um, who else? Travis made fun of me. So no shout out to Travis. Travis was not nice. Travis is not a nice boy. It's called uh, minimalism. And it's and then for Mike, and Mike Sevilla. So shout out to everybody. Um, can't wait to see what we come up with next week. Um, next week, we're back to Wednesday. So um, yeah, uh, we're out. Don't hold me to that. I think we're back to Wednesday. Next week. Whatever. We like, we like to play fast and loose. We should be. All right. Uh, see you, everybody. Bye, everybody.